Episode of Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who knows there's only three sure things in life death, taxes, and the fact that the Pittsburgh Penguins have Crosby, Malkin, and Chris Latang, and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and actually, it's like just kidding, I'm not going to be your host today. It's going to be, once again, Ben Burnett taking the mic to talk to Jesse Marshall all about the Pittsburgh Penguins in the latest installment of our 32 Beats interview series. We've had Jesse on for the past two seasons, and he's always really amazing. So you're definitely going to like this show as they're going to talk through how the Penguins are going to try to squeeze as much as they can out of this core and try to get one more championship. So before we get to that, a couple quick news and notes. Obviously, Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. If you haven't gone and gotten the guide yet, what are you waiting for? That's the best way to be successful is to get that classic Dauber Hockey guide. So check that out at DauberHockey.com. Also, registration is open for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. So it's time to sign up. If you've never played before, you'll start at the bottom tier. And before you know it, you'll be climbing up the ladder in your attempt to achieve fantasy hockey glory. But yeah, you're going to be playing against really fun, good competition in a league that's very heavily monitored to make sure everything is fair and that everyone's having a good time. Uh, Brian and I and Kevin put a lot of effort into this league, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So if you're interested at all, it's a perk of being a patron of Keeping Carlson. So just go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Become a patron of Keeping Carlson. At just $5 a month, you'll get access to the Cupful. You'll get into our awesome Discord community, our monthly patron cast. We've got a few other fun perks that we're going to be announcing soon for next season. So yeah, might as well sign up if you're interested. Once again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Also, we've had some really fun episodes dropped over the past little while. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with our feed, we recently dropped an interview with Craig Morgan about the Arizona Coyotes. And I know you might be thinking, eh, Coyotes, kind of a boring team. Trust me, this was a really fun interview. Things got very interesting, especially the Jacob Chickering conversation and whether or not he's going to get traded. I really was surprised by some of the things that Craig was telling me. And he's like a very enthusiastic and big fan of the Coyotes. He's really interesting to talk to. Also, Brian and I talked about the NHL schedule. People don't realize if you want to be successful in fantasy, you got to know the schedule. So that was a really fun episode. Uh, so yeah, just subscribe to Keeping Carlson in your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify, wherever you get your shows. And uh, then you'll get all the great content. We already have another episode in the hopper that we're going to be dropping this weekend. Uh, but with that, I'll stop my blabbering. Enjoy Ben's interview with Jesse Marshall about the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we'll see you on the next show. Bye. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. I am your host for tonight's show, Ben Burnett, joining me for another edition of the Keeping Carlson Beat Writer Interview Series. Uh, reporter of the or beat beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Penguins for from for and from the Athletic. We have Jesse Marshall. Jesse, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us today. Doing all right, Ben. Enjoying the summer. Always good to talk to you guys as well, man. Oh, that's that's excellent. Yeah, I feel like um, you know, not to say that it's not fun to watch a uh, a deep playoff run from the team that you cover, but I, I'm sure it's it's also nice to get a, a few extra weeks off each year. The having the pens out a little earlier lately. Yeah, yeah. Well, and with COVID though, like the scheduling's been all you know messed mm-hmm. up. So I think what what you've gotten used to is like a 
normal traditional schedule doesn't really like jive anymore. You know, we're like slowly adjusting back to like the organic version of hockey uh, as we knew it from a calendar perspective, but you're not wrong. Uh, it's certainly uh, given you the opportunity to like, and I, I say this selfishly, I guess, maybe to some extent, but like last year is a great example. The playoffs are really good. They were exciting, right? They were a lot of fun. And it's nice to, I guess, to some extent, like be able to just enjoy that and not have a responsibility inherently in it. Um, if there was going to be a year, you know, um, to have that luxury, it was this one just, I think, as a result of you know, the quality of the play that we saw. That's a great point. Yeah, I typically I say this fairly regularly. I feel like a regular season NHL fanatic and a playoff NBA fanatic just because the playoffs in the NBA often are just so climactic and, and typically involve, you know, some of the best, the superstars that are all playing the big minutes and and the NHL often it, it turns into a war of attrition and, and you often end up watching. I mean, those those two recent uh, Pens Cups, not to not to try, even begin to try and take anything away from the Pens, but, uh, you know, the Preds and the, the Sharks were both kind of uh, they, they weren't blockbuster teams where I was, you know, it, it didn't feel like a battle of the heavyweights, but this year was was very much, uh, you know, an amazing playoff for the NHL. Probably like the closest the Sharks are probably the closest team you could get to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the end of the, the jumbo era there, um, mm-hmm. that was, but the year, but you're right. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I think what you ended up with, uh, what you ended up with this year, for example. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And so I feel like these pens teams, as I was prepping for this, this interview, I was looking at sort of what the pens had done over the off season. And obviously the two big moves are bringing back, um, the returning superstars, but, uh, when you look at this team and you try and sort of figure out, obviously they're they're running it back to an extent, and the big moves are are on defense, and and we'll talk about sort of the the specifics as we go. But I'm curious to sort of um, from your perspective, where Ron Hextall and where this team sort of sees itself, and and how realistic um, they see being able to sort of take that leap back into contender status this season. Yeah, I think it's an interesting place because it's a place that I don't really think anybody expected to be in, you know, and I think if you went back to that end of that playoff series against the Rangers and you had told uh, all the people in Pittsburgh that Ron Hextall was going to find a way to keep the band together, right? Um, Meaning, you know, keep your Latang Malkin core intact, but then simultaneously on on top of that, retain Brian Rust, you know, keep him too. You know, that that was sort of, I think, considered by many people rightfully been to be like a, a non-possibility, right? Like given totally, the, yeah. the, the salary cap and the, the, the extenuating situation that they were in, um, all of those re- players required ex- severe discounts in order to pull it off. And there was that sense of like, I, I, I think, you know, you, it's always important for NHL teams to not lose the forest for the trees, right? And for the Penguins, it was, you know, two years ago, really, they felt passionately that Tristan Jari had a baptism by fire moment and the postseason was better than he showed. And that, you know, they were going to stick to it because they felt passionately about that. And then you kind of saw him rebound. They goes in, you, you, you get the sense that he's going to, you know, write this beautiful redemption story in the playoffs and he gets hurt. <laughs> and then the backup gets hurt. And then you're in. You're in against the Rangers who have a Vezina uh, winning goaltender on the other side and you're playing your third stringer. Mm-hmm. So there, the, it could have been very easy, Ben, for Ron Hextall to overreact to those scenarios 
and say like we've got to blow it up you know get rid of Evgeny Malkin let Brian Rust go you know trade Chris Letang you know I mean whatever it is you know let's blow this thing up and and set it afire but there was that 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 panic never happened right like that that sense of like this needs to change and and you bring the core back you add and I'm sure we'll get into this but you add Jeff Petrie you know you you have these additions that you've made in subtle areas that you know if nothing else you're bringing back together a team that you know practically won the division last year almost you know um and could have could have done it so i think with with some health help so uh, i think at the end of the day you know i don't know that they're on a colorado level well, they're not let's just be yeah. honest right they're not <laughs> i mean who is you know? no no one um and it's it even takes a i lot. mean tampa bay showed i think tampa won. bay losing <laughs> that series kind of just proved the point but this is probably as good as it's going to get, all things considered, right? Um, and I know that there was, you know, there was a, a vocal minority, a, a vocal minority of people in Pittsburgh. I would say they were like, you know, hey, scrap Latang and go get John Klingberg, scrap Evgeny Malkin and go get Vince Trocheck. And I just don't think at the end of the day, Ron Hextall or really a lot of people felt that those moves made the Penguins any closer to being a Colorado, right? And if you're not going to get there, if 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 Going Trocheck and Klingberg, it, like that's not, that doesn't turn you into having Kale McGar, right? So, so if you can't get there, if there's no organic pathway to get there, I think the sense was, but hell with it, let's run it back, let's run it back, and, and for sentimental purposes, like keep the band together, you know, let's have fun at least. If we're, you know, if we're not, like if we can't, if we can't, you know, and hell, you never know. All things considered. Maybe you get into the season, you get hot, you could make a couple of trades at the deadline, you can throw some pieces together and really give it some hell. But this is a playoff team. That's what it is. It's a playoff team that you hope gets hot and finds some help along the way. Um, that, I think, is wh- what you're hanging your hat on until Sidney Crosby is no longer uh, the Sidney Crosby that we've come to know over the course of the last two decades. Well, and I think that's a very compelling argument to to keep the band together. And when you look at the when you look at the the cap hits that those three high end, you know, the marquee names come in for, it's it's pretty tough not to just not to agree to run it back. Like when you get Malkin at six point one, Latang and Malkin at matching six point ones, and and Brian Rust through who is a player who, you know, you don't always want to sign that that long-term extension on a on a 30-year-old player but Brian Russ didn't hit his stride until 27 so like I don't know to me obviously there's a lot of statistics that show that younger players are are more valuable in general but also there are outliers and there are players who are going to be valuable deeper into their careers and I don't know. Yeah, let's let's start talking about Crosby though. That's a that's a good jumping off point here and and talking about I, I guess he's got 3 years left on his deal, uh, the 12-year contract that he signed 10 years ago now. And from a production standpoint, he's been incredibly consistent the past decade or so. He's been between 90 and 100 points basically every single season. Um, At this point, knocking on wood for health, Crosby should finish uh, next season in the about 15th or 16th all-time in points, depending on whether he outscores Alex Ovechkin this year. And if, if he's able to stay healthy for the next three years, and if he's able to score at a 90 point per season pace, he should be in the top 10 of all time scorers. So understanding here that we can't predict health or unforeseeable world events, like we've kind of uh, run up against the last couple of years. I'm wondering, Jesse, as somebody who sees this team, sees Sidney Crosby every game, 
what how how confident how bullish are you on Crosby being that good through the final years of this deal ah uh, super bullish yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I it, well you know and you have to consider too Ben like here's a big development in this is like that wrist is fixed right, right. and it, it did it did bite him last year it took I think probably I could honestly say plus the time he missed 15 games plus the time he missed to get back right and I think it was for a lot of the NHL last year it was out of sight out of mind for Sidney Crosby and they kind of like he wasn't around at the beginning of the season and then they forgot, you know, but I think by the time the playoffs rolled back around, everybody was like remembering again. Uh, and he was doing some, you know, some absurd stuff. He's got Jake Gensel on his one wing. We know that for sure. He'll be stapled with him. Um, who's a guy I think could probably, I would never rule out Jake Gensel scoring 50. He's got 40 a couple of times. Um, Crosby's that kind of playmaker. Now that is his, uh, his MO at this stage of his career. He's playmaker first. Um, he's more of a tempo changer, slow the, the pace of the game down and, you know, throw that, you know, you come, you think about, uh, you know, great players, you know, that can come across the offensive blue line with speed and then just up, subtly apply those breaks, you know, change that tempo. He's got that way about him of, of really drawing the, uh, all, all 10 eyes of the defense. Um, and, and when you, have a player who can demand that attention and sort of like tractor beam you into him. And you have Jake Gensel as the one that's getting open and benefiting from that. That's crazy. You know, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Jake Gensel's dad, you know, I don't know. A lot of people don't know this, Ben, but Jake Gensel's dad was an absolutely phenomenal hockey coach um, at the NCAA level uh, and is now a scout with the Arizona Coyotes um, in the, at the, at the NHL level. And his guy is a hockey mind. And I, I think you see, you know, so much of, of that in Gensel's game and they feed off of each other so well. I think the question is who will play with Crosby on the other wing. You know, there's a, I think a large group of people that believe it'll be Brian Rust who just resigned that deal. But you also have Ricard Raquel who in a very short sample size played really well in that position with Crosby and Gensel. So that's up in the air, but this is like one of the most well-conditioned athletes on the planet that we're talking about. Um, you know, what, what father time, you know, does to a lot of people, he's not done to Sidney Crosby, you know, and that, and I think in that wrestling match of like age and what it does to you um, versus, you know, Crosby, Crosby's winning right now <laughs> right. <laughs> has continued to. So I keep, you know, people keep saying to me like, Oh, it's going to change one day. Right. Well, look, I watched Mario Lemieux my whole life, right. Every game he played. And I know for a fact that the only reason he stopped was because he had to start taking a blood thinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> compromised his ability to clot if he got cut on the ice. And up until the final game I saw him play in, which was north of 40 years old, he was as effective as any was as any as any third liner was on the ice. Right? He was b- way better than them. And that's like my, the point I'm making is that Crosby, I think, will age as gracefully. And uh, people can keep telling me until they're blue in the face that they think the fall off's coming, but until I physically see it with my own eyes. I won't believe it. <laughs> it's kind of no, where I'm at. I, I think I agree with you. I, people talk a lot about, you know, these guys who sign long-term deals uh, in their, you know, in the late twenties or, or into their early thirties. And it's always like, 
uh, well, they, you know, how many of these years are going to be fall off years? And then also like, oh, this is a player like Artemi Panarin is a player who recently signed a long term deal uh, into his 30s where it's like, yeah, but his style of play is so like he can be effective. He doesn't need to be 28 to can, to stay effective. Sidney Crosby is the same to me. Just you watch his game. And, and like you say, it's the smarts. It's the skating style. It's the it's the tempo. And it's it's now it's the distribution. That's right. Um, I, I have no real concerns about him falling off a cliff over the next few years, the way that, I mean, a guy who I also, I, who also gets this question asked about him all the time, Alex Ovechkin, it makes a lot more sense with Ovechkin who his physicality is so central to his game. Um, but you know, I'm not counting, I'm, I'm with you on, on, on both Ovechkin and Crosby in terms of I'll, 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 I won't believe it until I see it. Yeah, I mean they've they've both uh, I think equally defied the odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna be bummed when we you know, I, and those games have taken on a different feeling now. You know they're 100%. not the same that they were that they used to be. But I, I I'm 100 percent not looking forward to the day in the NHL when we don't have that anymore because uh, mm-hmm. it was such a nice thing to hang your hat on every single year a couple times and probably in the playoffs uh, right. with seeing those two guys go at it. But to your point though, like again, like now I think. The maintenance piece, you know, he has in spades, um, the the work that he puts in. But then now I think just, again, like the wrist thing always being something that was kind of like there and bugging him, which is crazy to consider when you think about how good he is in face-off circle and how strong that backhand he has is, um, you know, to not be operationally at 100% wrist-wise and still be able to pull that stuff off is ridiculous. So now that that's fixed, I, I am I have a keen eye on the start of this year. Um, because I think, you know, last year was really a makeup for lost time situation for him. Uh, and I think it took him a while to get there because of the nature of the surgery. He doesn't have that this time. Um, and I think the runway for him in camp is much more normal. Um, I I'm, cons- I'm looking for, for a much bigger start for him out of the year this year. I think he's going to have a, um, a lot higher value than people consider. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually started the interview sort of or or the prep process sort of thinking like if you look at just Crosby stats over the last 15 years or or rather the last five, 10 years, you'd think, OK, this is a guy who has not taken a step back at any point. But the way that points have gone up over the past year or two, you, you know, that, that sort of influences your thinking process. But if you take away that stretch at the start of the season where he he goes to two points in his first seven or so games. He bases for 108 points over the the next uh, 62 games. So it's like, yeah, I can see I can see the argument. He's he's still very much looking like a, a top five to ten point scorer in the NHL, and that's obviously not nothing. Um, Gensel, another guy, was the guy I was going to mention next, and you, you sort of uh, you sniped my question. Like Gensel might snipe 50 goals here at some point. Um, but I think it's really interesting to see Crosby have this second or, or third, whatever act you want to say it is for him in his career with a player who probably, you know, Crosby goes so long with guys who uh, all of their success is attributed to to Sydney. And it's so interesting to see Gensel come in to the league, become what I would say is like the second most important, you know, the the it's not just Sidney Crosby out there. Jake Gensel has so many skills that he brings to the table and it's unfortunate to see him sort of be looked at as uh, to see him be underrated considering what he adds to that line and, and how well he and Crosby complement one another. 
Yeah, and I, there was a period of time too that were like he played elongated uh, stretches with Evgeny Malkin, and those two played well off each other for the same reasons. You know, the Gensel's skill set is what it is, right? Um, and so I, I think last year, in the absence of both Crosby and Malkin, uh, you finally got to see him, you know, do the things that you mm-hmm. see him do all the time without those people. So the excuse of, you know, he's a product of them was no longer there for people to lay their hat on. But mm-hmm. the bigger thing to me was his playoff performance and yep. the numbers that he put up against the Rangers, because, you know, I, I think there was a bit of a recency bias and sample size discussion to be had. Um, you know, you remember when the, the pandemic went down, uh, the Penguins lose to the Canadians. Jake Gensel's coming back from a separated shoulder, collar, but broken collarbone, excuse me, um, and wasn't anticipated to have even been able to participate in the playoffs. Gets healthy, comes back. Penguins lose in five games. Next year, Islanders bounce the Penguins. Jake Gensel, short series, doesn't do very well. So the, the narrative became he can't score in the postseason. He's too small. He's frail. You know, and there was like a large sample size of games that people were ignoring where Jake Gensel was just beating up on people in the playoffs, right? And he went through, a, I think, a bad stretch, a rough stretch, um, and then last year kind of got back to normal. But I think the narrative, Ben, that he can't do it in the tough areas of the ice and all that nonsense has kind of finally been quashed. So I think last year was a good rumor-stomping season for Jake Gensel in that he got away from the, he's a product of Crosby discussion, mm-hmm. had a good year in the playoffs uh, and, and sort of all the criticism, I think that had kind of found his way um, over the course of the couple first round exits, the Penguins have had, it kind of got shut up eventually, I think, which is a good thing for him. Um, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, you know, you got a sample size. You have is something you have to talk about in the postseason. The Penguins mm-hmm. haven't been playing in the first round long enough. I think to, to really make any discernible assessment of, of Gensel's game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good to see him buck those trends. And it's a player that I think Mike, Mike Sullivan uh, has a strong belief in uh, and is willing to play in, in any number of circumstances views as an elite, uh, you know, top contributor to that, that power play um, as well. So uh, yeah, I think the, the, the Turkey will be on the table for him, so to speak this year um, to make the most of it. And, you know, it's going to be, I think it'll be a little bit tougher to score this year, right? I think our schedules, the schedule is going to be a little bit more normalized. Mm -hmm. You'll probably see more goaltending rotations even out as a result of that. Um, So I think scoring will downtick. um, But I think the opportunity, again, will just still be there for him organically to have another really strong season in the goals department. And so uh, next I, I mean, typically, it's really hard not to bring up Evgeny Malkin third when we're talking uh, or or in the top three when we're talking pens forwards. But you mentioned Brian Rust and sort of who you see as that first line, uh, the, the second winger on that first line. And Brian Rust, to me, is one of those really interesting players where the season where he popped off, uh, I guess, two years ago, the, the prior to the lockout, uh, where Brian Rust really broke out, it was one of those breakouts where it it made no sense to me when it was happening. And then you tune into the game and you're like, oh, this is the perfect complimentary player. And, and the player who can really play, like he was playing with uh, with Malkin that season and just looked, could go to the net, could go to the corner, could could dish the puck, could score. Sniping. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, and since then, obviously has gotten more opportunity on the power play this past season. That's he made a lot of, a lot of hay on the power play. Um, I, I am curious though, if, you know, he seems to me somebody who can move up and down the lineup for that reason. Do you, you know, uh, heading into training camp, I guess it's coming up in a few weeks, crystal ball, uh, looking at opening night, where do you see Brian Russ? If you had to predict tonight? Well, I think that given the contract they gave him, right, the inclination is initially to probably believe that he is going to be on that top unit with Sidney Crosby. However, I still think that there's a, a need to spread the wealth. I think there's a lot of utility behind Brian Rust as a player. Um, it enables him to kind of fill in anywhere. I wouldn't rule out the opportunity of seeing, and not to take anything away from Rust's crash and bang game, because while it's not necessarily like the, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of what he does, like he can get in there. You know, he's not afraid to get in there and get loose pucks and take a hit to make a play. I think that 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 Crosby unit gets a little bit of a boost. You know, thinking back to the success Crosby had with guys like Kunitz and Dupuy, of having a crash bang body in there, and that's more of a Ricard Raquel to me. It's a guy who can retrieve loose pucks on the forecheck, get in, chase him down, eat him, and wait for help, and then get opportunistic after that. Um, that's kind of the Raquel game, you know, it's kind of his MO. So I don't know. I, I camp will determine that probably, right? I think Mike Sullivan's going to go in with a premonition of what he thinks is going to work and I'll probably let it play out. And we'll probably see multiple looks on that top unit from in camp between those two players, especially uh, Rust and Raquel me, I mean, um, but I think that's, that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to be those two guys battling it out. And look, Mike Sullivan changes lines so much that like within a game, you know, you probably see <laughs> things switch over multiple times. So I think it's just a vibe. Like Mike Sullivan is very much a, a vibes guy in that sense. So I think if he senses something's off or if he's looking for more, like he'll he'll go to that well. So that being said, Ben, the reason I bring that up is because even if it even if you see Russ start the season up there, it could just be a drink of water before things change and you know the the lines are switched up again. But that's the benefit of of the signings right? Is that they're plug and play and you don't need a lot of grooming to, to get these guys into the position that, you know, on either one of these top six roles, um, it's, it's really just, what do you need that night? And, it, and I think that's the benefit of having players of that ilk, um, is it makes your decision as a coach, you know, potentially a lot easier. It does. And it also, I mean, it gives you a chance to get a guy like Brian Rust under 7 million, uh, a guy who can put up eight, you know, has proven that he can put up a a point per game and you don't have to pay him like a point per game player. That's, that's, uh, that's a very fortunate um, contract and, and cap it, I should say for the penguins being able to, to fit a guy like that, who can, who is probably capable of 70 points on the top or second line. Um, Very, very utilitarian player for sure. Yeah. Um, Looking at the second line, we got to go down to Malkin next and, uh, once again, proves that he can put up a point per game pace without, <laughs> with whatever injury he's dealing with at any point, uh, puts up 42 points in 41 last year. Um, but even in those two COVID shortened seasons, Malkin missed a, a, a chunk of the year. Um, given the consistency that we see injuries for him, 
where do you put his ceiling in terms of games played moving forward? Because every year it's obviously a bit of a roulette in terms of weighing out the the risk and the reward in drafting of Kenny Malkin. You know when he plays, he's going to be the most valuable guy you can get at the draft slot. But uh, it, it seems to me at this point that there's a fair amount of load management that's probably taking place. I don't have these numbers right in front of me, Ben, so I'm going to hesitate to quote them to you exactly because I'll probably screw it up. But I wrote an article um, about the contract status of Latang and Malkin prior to them being signed and sort of used uh, some tools on the internet from Evolving Hockey and other players to more or less project what these deals are going to look like. Um, going all the way back to the first lockout <laughs> right, long time ago um, and looking at age productivity and contractual status there were 26 players that met Evgeny Malkin's criteria that's how few we're talking about that 26 dating all the way back to the first big lockout of those 26 no player had played less games in a three-year period than Evgeny Malkin so projecting that contract uh, and I talked to the twins at Evolving Hockey said Mm -hmm. it was one of the hardest things their model was going to do Mm-hmm. Because it was just so rare and so unique. I think they came out at one year, $4.1 million, which obviously he did better than, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how precarious. Which should. That's, a, that's absolutely, absolurely That's low. absurd. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. But that's, that's the level to which his playing time has been affected. And I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people outside of Pittsburgh realize that, that he's not been in the lineup a lot. Uh, but when he's in the lineup, to your point, he's practically playing over a point per game and is just like, the monstrous Malkin presence that we've all come to know. Now, I, all the stuff I said earlier about father time robbing faculties regarding Crosby's not the same true uh, as Malkin. Like, right? You know, you think about like his highlight reel tape from his younger days and him sort of galloping through the neutral zone and you know bodying people over and you know phys- you know power forwarding his way around the ice. That this doesn't happen anymore. Um, and I think that there's an internal struggle within the team, Ben, to get him out of those habits. I think that's a coaching staff challenge just to get him to, you know, try to break the puck out himself less, you know, um, which is hard to do. And, you know, you want to let your shooter shoot, right? You don't ever want to cap your shooters. But at the same time, like, I think there's micro stats here that haven't maybe been as friendly to Malkin over the Mm. last couple of years. So all that is being said is like, this is still an intensely productive player when he's in the lineup. He hasn't been in the lineup enough. Um, and I'll frankly be honest with you. I don't think from an align identity perspective, he doesn't have that Jake Gensel, right? So like that partnership that Crosby has, I don't know that you've had that for Malkin since James Neal, <laughs> you know, you gotta go back a long way mm-hmm. for that. And there's just no trigger man there. There's no, you're going to see, I mean, more than likely, Ben, you're going to see Jason Zucker get another crack at this thing, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know how many more, how many more opportunities he can have. Uh, before they, you know, move him, but it's you're 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 looking at some combination of Zucker, Malkin, and Rust or Raquel. So that's a good unit. I think there's something to build off of there. Uh, you're probably going to have Jeff Petrie playing with that tandem, which is a huge upgrade um, for Malkin. And that he, you know, again, Latang typically gets the Crosby minutes, right? So it's only one Latang. <laughs> you, can't, you can't play him 45 minutes a night. So that that's a huge boon. I think to Malkin is to have, you know, I just mentioned to you, Ben, I think sometimes he does too much on the breakup, mm-hmm. right? There's too much. And there's that, I can still superhuman this. I can still take these guys one on four. We have a Jeff Petrie back there 
boy, does that take the pressure off you or the perceived pressure off you to have to want to do that all the time. So look, I mean, I don't know, you know, I think I'm, this is now we're getting into the weeds here a little bit with, with Malkin's game and the micro stats, but like at the end of the day, I think the Penguins are still looking at him and saying, like, we really believe in what you can do. It came down to the wire. Like, Sidney Crosby had to get involved in the contract negotiation. And, like, supposedly at the final minute, you know, according to Josh Yoey at the Athletic, was calling up Ron Hexton saying, like, can we please have this conversation one more time? And uh, so all that, look, he passionately believes in the project, you know. I guess, you know, coming back with some vigor, um, like he feels a certain way about this, the way this thing shook down and has something to prove. So, um, we'll see how it goes, but it's been a long summer for him. And I think he's looking forward to just like getting to the hockey and putting all this sort of stuff behind him. I'm happy for him and I'm happy he got a few years because it, it I didn't understand. I'm sure this is mostly just being an, an online thing, being on Twitter, but the, the amount of Pittsburgh fans who seemed like they actively wanted him gone at no matter the cost was was astounding to me like this is a guy who is as responsible for like a 1b to Sidney Crosby for the penguin success over the hey, past Smythe, right no. yeah exactly and a guy who you know you talked about what he's missing in his game from his peak and like that's that's sad to me a non penguins fan as somebody who you you mentioned the the Ovechkin Crosby days like Evgeny Malkin was a unicorn out there. He he was an incredible player to watch and seeing him bulldoze through the the neutral zone and, and just sort of puck, you know, moving forward at all times and able to do whatever he wanted in the offensive zone. That is a player that I miss seeing when I when I tune into the Penguins and he does have a lot of skills still, but I, I am sad for for peak Malkin being a thing of the past. I do think the one strength he has now that goes underappreciated, Ben, is, and this is probably, a, it's not one you hear about talked about in hockey a lot, is his uh, ability to work against the grain now is really, I think, where his strength is. So you get the puck in the offensive zone, you start working on a long cycle, right? Everybody's kind of moving in the same direction on the cycle, right? You're kind of moving in a whirlwind, like, you know, circling around the boards, you know, you get Malkin will just go the opposite direction of everyone else. <laughs> and you'll see it on the phone. You're like, what in the hell is going on? And you'll see him leave, but he, and he leaves the frame. So where the camera's pointed, you got the team cycling. You can't even see him anymore, but what's happening is he's leaving, lurking back in. And when he lurks back in, but no one's paying attention to him, mm. right? Like he's, he's removed himself from the play willingly, but now on his way back in, like no one's looking for him and paying attention to where he went. And that it, he gets open from that all the time. And I think like, man, that's like this. It, it's still, there's still like a level of savvy. I think you need to have to get open as a big man in the national hockey league, you know? And that's, that's to me, one of the cool ways that he does it and pound for pound when it comes to like people winding up uh, for one timers with power, mm. I'm still putting him in my top five. Sure. Like, yeah. the like the guy could still take the, the, the meshing off the, uh, the net and just blitz one through it. So um so there's to your point, right? The skills are still there. I think his game, though, Ben, is more reliant on those physical skills, whereas yeah. Crosby's is always, I think, been, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more about seeing steps ahead of people. Um, yeah. You know, that's where the dichotomy in the two players is. It's that always that it's it's the, it's so funny. All those years later, Ben, it's, we have the Mario Yager dynamic. Yeah. All over again. It's a great point. Right? With two totally different players uh, mm-hmm. in the same city. It's crazy. And who get along uh, very well, at least in this oh, boy, case. Way better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's considering right. The, the, considering the other pairs not even on, I don't even know if they're on speaking terms right now. 
Yeah. Um, no, it's it's interesting. I had never noticed the uh, the against the grain, but I, I feel like I'm going to watch some some Malkin highlights and, and look for that because that is really interesting to hear. Um, one other player that we we I want to talk about uh, on this, you know, in the surefire top six heading into next year, obviously Ricard Raquel, who, as you mentioned, filled in for Brian Rust on that top line when when Rust was injured after the trade from Anaheim. Uh, Raquel put up 13 points in 19 games in the regular season and obviously missed. Uh, most of the Rangers series, unfortunately, with an injury. Um, Raquel, though, like was only playing 14, 15 minutes a night, but was shooting and hitting quite a bit in Pittsburgh. You know, maybe it's just the uh, the post trade bump where where you want to be active and, and show your game off to the the new fans. But definitely a player who I'm interested in in multi category leagues heading into next season. Um, I was going to say it's hard to imagine Raquel being worth drafting just because the the point pace seems to be so low um, in many fantasy leagues. You know, a 56 point pace wouldn't be something that you're you're getting your hopes up. But if, if you see Ricard Raquel playing, you know, 40 to 60 games on the top unit with Sidney Crosby and, and Jake Gensel, that sounds like a player who could be, you know, that, that sounds like it could spell out a career year for Ricard Raquel. 100% agree with that, and I think if you're in a league that tracks peripheral things like hits and puts a little bit of a premium on those, uh, there's a value there too, because I mentioned somebody's got to do the dirty work on that line, right? And it's probably going to be him. So you mentioned those numbers being up. I think it's just a result of like the style of hockey Mike Sullivan plays, where most of it's just on the front foot. you know. And if you can dictate and control the pace of the game and the pace at which it's being played... You know, that's the style he wants. So uh, that's sort of just as a, a natural fit for Ricard Raquel. When you think about his skill set and what makes him good and, um, you know, what, what he's sort of made his career out of up to this point, it seemed like a natural fit. I think at the time that we saw them together, uh, you know, again, regardless of where he was in the top six, there seemed to be uh, action happening. He seemed to fit right in. So I'm looking forward to him having a full camp, right, opportunity to settle in and coming with a fresh slate. I think the sky's the limit. Um, you know, again, you know, probably not a 60 point, you know, 70 point guy, but you know, somebody that, you know, with a little bit of peripheral help, you know, in, in the hits department, things like that, um, you know, could be worth his depth addition, especially, you know, if he's going to find his, that's, that's, you know, the one thing I watch is, you know, that, that development in camp and what the indication is as far as who he's going to play with. You know, if it had, you know, no disrespect to Malkin, but you know the the Crosby Gensel combination is just happens to be the more lethal right now. So um, yeah, I think if 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 you see him, you know, trending towards playing with those guys, it's certainly someone I would look at as from a you know late round depth perspective. Well, and there are some recent Penguins players who are kind of who have been very valuable at a fifty five point pace, and like a, a Patrick Hornquist is a guy who comes to mind when I think about Raquel. Uh, or, or when we talk about a guy who could be very valuable in fantasy without putting up super high point totals, um, Hornquist obviously was doing that because he was getting the uh, the net front spot on the power play. Where I don't know that that's what Raquel will do. I, I think the hope here is that he's he's very valuable in the even strength minutes yeah. that he I think plays. at the be- at best you're looking at second unit for him. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Then that was you. You predicted my question here. You see, you see that that big four that we talked about at, at the top: Crosby, Gensel, Malkin, Rust sticking on the top unit. I do. Um, I guess the only thing, and I and I, I don't see them doing this, but it's just the power play has been so bad. You know, it's been so awful <laughs> sure. that I, I can't help but wonder 
and in order to break some of the stagnation you've sort of seen it run into over the course of the last several years, I wonder if maybe they don't try to run 2D for the first time in a really long time. You know, that bumps wow. a super talented player off, but like, yeah, I'm not holding my breath on that. But it, I think it's something I, I think Mike Sullivan at some point is going to try to do something different with this power play, whether that means the structure changes and he throws a whole new system at the damn thing and. You know, let's see if it works or if the personnel changes or if you put 2D out there. Um, I don't know. But I think, like, you you consistently find yourself in the same problem where even a moderately aggressive penalty killing unit, moderately aggressive, is going to work you to the outside and keep you on the perimeter. And that's just such a big issue. You know, if you, you can't consistently find your way into the slot and in front of the net mouth, you're, you're – a, versus a guy like Igor Shosturkin – Come on, you know, like that's your you 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 can't let him see everything, you know. You have to make his life difficult, and they didn't do that. You know, they just didn't. And I think that's just a, that that is not a last year problem. It's a two years ago, you know. They, they're always a team that is in the top ten in the league in the power play percentage, but to somehow end up going through stretches, this the, where they have these maddeningly difficult runs, right? And that's what sinks them. And his runs always come at the worst possible time, where it seems like the whole league has just figured them out. So um, it's a point of contention. Make no mistake about it. Like the people in Pittsburgh are um, losing their mind over it. So I think at some point, you know, you gotta. I think you gotta think that Sullivan's gonna try something different at one point. I don't know that. You know, I think personnel-wise, he, he you know, he's, he had that with Mike Mike Matheson last year. We didn't really see it. Never tried it. So. You know, Petrie's a little bit better, I think, you know, than Matheson. You know, it's a little bit more of an upgrade there. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I think uh, that's where my eye is, is, is uh, power play-wise anyways. You know, what, what version of it do we get? Well, and my first thought was like, uh, but do they have enough defensemen to fit somebody on the second unit? But I, I suppose uh, adding a, a Ty Smith kind of maybe uh, makes that interesting. I feel like... I feel like Mike Sullivan would probably be pretty nervous leaving Ty Smith alone on that second unit uh, power play, though. Maybe it's a I, I guess maybe that does that becomes a two defenseman look as well in this situation. We have to think so. Yeah. And Ty yeah. Smith, um, you know, last year was getting turnstiled a lot. Yeah. So I think there'd probably be a, a level of concern that you'd have with that. Um, but yeah, I mean. Marcus Pedersen and Brian Dumont aren't guys that scream super offensively capable when it comes yeah. to the power play. So uh, you're going you're to have limited options as far as the, uh, the depth piece of that goes. I guess maybe you could just alternate uh, Petrie and and uh, and Latang if if you really needed to and and just sort of, yeah, keep one out there for a, an extra 30 seconds and then alternate um, for the second unit. If you if you felt like that was something or, you know, keep out Crosby or, or whatever it is. I, I don't know. I think if there's an inherent fear you have of giving up shorthanded opportunities, you've got to do something eventually to address that. You know, that's right. uh, I don't know what that looks like, but uh, it seems to be the issue. Uh, that's I mean, look, hate teams that aren't afraid of that stuff don't usually end up on the perimeter of the ice, right? So I think you know, at the end of the day, the evidence suggests that seems to be what the issue is. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we have a couple of uh, of players who could be interesting in that, that forward group and a lot of star power on the back end of this Penguins team. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. 
I'm here with Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Jesse, we've talked through the, I'd say the five surefire top sixers on the pens. Um, looking a little bit further down the roster, Kasperi Kapanen, Jeff Carter, Jason Zucker. This is sort of the next group of players who may be of interest to fantasy managers, players who play in deeper pools. I'd say it's tough to imagine these guys getting the deployment to be useful in a majority of fantasy leagues, although Jeff Carter was a player who managed to be relevant in category leagues with decent shots and hits. But is there anyone in this group who you think could surprise and be worth a draft pick next year? I think if Jason Zucker can stay healthy, um, you know, the, the ceiling that we talked about for Ricard Raquel also exists for him. Um, but, you know, availability has really been the biggest issue for him. And the injuries have kind of derailed his really his whole experience in Pittsburgh. Um, so he's got the skill set. He's got the shot. I think he has the you know, underlying ability to drive play. Uh, it's just really not been able to put it together for extended stretches. But if he can, um, you know, some again, you mentioned those deeper leagues that, you know, are, are looking at, um, you know, shot totals and hit totals and roster a lot of players. I think there's certainly you know value there. And maybe even beyond that, if you can get on a run with Evgeny Malkin, I mean, that's, that's really the partnership that Sullivan's looking for and is hoping for. So, um, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. It's just, again, a question of, of, of health. Um, and that's really been the biggest, the biggest issue for him. And I, I think that he's a player who it's going to be tough for him to get re-signed in Pittsburgh, given the, given the, uh, the cap number that he's probably going to be after. I, I, they seem to be sort of strapped in that mid range amount, but um yeah, a player who I remember when the Penguins traded for him, the hype was through the roof for, mm. for him to sort of get that shot with Crosby, and it never really turned into what people had hoped for. No, it didn't. Um, and again, you know, I think that's that's more or less, you know, a conversation of his availability. So, um, you know, people get hurt, right? It happens. Injuries are a thing. Um, the opportunity, you know, if he can stay healthy to, to slide up the lineup will certainly be there. So, um, you know, again, there's a lot of utility to him as a player when he's in the lineup and, and when he's available. So we've talked through all of the roster players uh, that I that I think are maybe fantasy relevant on this team. But there's one player who is still unsigned, a UFA, who for my money is, you know, Nazem Kadri, we've heard the is heading to Long Island. That deal is, you know, official by Lou's standards. But Evan Rodriguez remaining unsigned is very confusing to me, just based on the breakout season he had in Pittsburgh. Like, it seems like somebody would want to give this man like a, a three million, three and a half million dollars for uh, to be their you know, third line center or whatever it is uh, for a, a year at least. But what, what's going on with Evan Rodriguez? What, why is he not being brought back on a cheap deal to Pittsburgh right now? It's almost like his carriage turned into a pumpkin. I guess after so. midnight or something. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what level of contact there's been between the camps. Um, you know, I, we consistently talk about like players that have like this Swiss army knife level of utility around them. And Evan Rodriguez is probably one of the greatest examples of that. Sure. And I wrote like, a, you know, I think that he had a, the Renaissance that he had last year was really guild uh, geared uh, to, around finding the confidence to carry the puck himself mm. and to like, you know, be the driver of the train um, on zone entries and things like that. But as the year went on, like that just went away, you know, like it just died out. So 
you know, I, there is, a, I think, a realistic cap to how you can use him and what his ceiling is. But I think even outside of that, there's still a utility, like I said, to his game that, you know, I, I can't imagine he's priced his own way out of the market here. You know, I'm, I'm surprised that, uh, you know, a te- you know, a, a, a deal that's friendly to both player and team um, hasn't been struck, not just, to, you know, to your point in Pittsburgh, but you know, anywhere at this point, really. Yeah, we were speaking with Alan Mitchell, um, the low tide, and he he suggested that once the Pugliarvi drama receded, that maybe, you know, Evan Rodriguez signs a sweetheart deal, like a Kevin LeBanc type deal, one, mm-hmm. one year, one million to just go and get 45 points playing on a second line with with a, a superstar center or yeah like do do just fine on a a, a nice middle six but it, that one is is strange to me I, i'm i'm very curious to see how it pans out because yeah like you said the i mean in reverse uh the pumpkin has returned but it, it felt like such a such an incredible breakout last year to mm. see him hit the guy who you know the the buffalo sabers didn't even realize they had uh, this whole time. Um, moving into the defense, though, got to talk Chris Letang, of course, first. Like Malkin, this is a player who is usually considered a gamble to draft in fantasy, but he's coming off this incredible year where he not only paced for 71 points over a full season, he actually played 78 games last regular season, his highest since 2018. Um, so the pens re up him for six years at 6.1 million, as we mentioned, obviously adding some years on the end to help lower that AAV. Um, and most of the talk around this contract has been about when the fall off is likely to hit. I'm very curious to hear from you though, Jesse, like Chris Letang is a player who is clearly not done, who is clearly a bargain at this, at this point in his career at 6 million. How many years of prime Letang do you think the pens can count on? That's a tough question. You know, he, he's a, a player who gets a lot of use, right? So um, Mike Sullivan really, really heavily leans on him um, and, and uses him with a high level of frequency. He's also a player with an extensive medical history, not all of it good. Um, you know, you know, stroke, right? I mean, this is a, that's a lot, you know, it's a big deal. So uh, that being said, his Bill of Health has been phenomenal over the last course, you know, of course, the last couple of years. Um, last year was a renaissance for him. And, you know, we talked about, you know, I, I said jokingly with you, Ben, earlier, there's only, there's only one Kale McCarr, right? And the Colorado Avalanche are who they are. <laughs> but like the fact that, that Chris Letang's name was mentioned in that breath last year mm-hmm. is unreal to me. It's yeah. unreal because that crop of young defensemen, you know, it is stellar good, right? We both have seen them, they're phenomenal. Uh, up and down the line, Adam Fox all the way through, um, and and to to him for him to get, um, and you know even be mentioned in the same breath as those players, I think is just a testament to how good of a year he actually had last year, um, and where his game is right now. So, the Penguins very clearly felt like of Latang and Malkin. Latang was the priority, um, and was the one that they absolutely needed, and they made him the priority, and that. That was a long negotiation that, that went on for a long time. Um, and I think by circumstance, you know, Malkin had to sit and wait as a result. I don't think they could really move on Malkin until they knew what the final term and numbers were going to be on Latang. So, um, you know, then once that once that took place, you could see the rest of the chips fell relatively quickly. 
So it's a player they prioritized as as paramount above all else. Um, and for good reason, you know, he's just a player capable of taking huge minutes, um, deployed in a manner of any number of challenging fashions. Um, I think the key will be looking at, uh, you know, what happens with him on the other side. You know, is Brian Dumoulin still got the, the goods to continue to be his partner? We saw last year there was a period of time where Mike Sullivan finally went away from that and said, like, hey, like, you know, maybe maybe Dumoulin doesn't have that in him anymore. You know, there's a lot of mileage on those tires. Um, so I think that's that's the one thing for Latang I would say, to for people to watch, right? Um, you're not going to – I don't think you'll see Jeff – you're not going to, like, see a Petre Latang pairing. But, um, you know, who – does Marcus Pedersen potentially – uh, get bumped up. Like, what does that look like? You know, um, I don't think it's to Latang's detriment in any way. Uh, it's just a, a different look for him, a different environment. You know, he's still going to be playing with that top unit, still going to be, you know, getting the bulk line share of his minutes with Sidney Crosby. Those things won't change. So um, I think at the end of the day, though, maybe just a little bit of a different look as far as his pairing is concerned. You're scaring me a little bit talking about some of these, some of these looks just at even strength, because I, I do feel like Latang is going to get in on a fair number of points, but it does seem pretty challenging to imagine him putting up 70 points playing next to Marcus Pedersen on a, a on a top unit. But maybe, maybe that's but just I, me. I, maybe. You know, r- really though, Ben, honestly, like how much, how much more offensively deficient is Pedersen and Dumoulin? Yeah, no, you know, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, you know, I so suppose. you're just going younger and with Dumoulin, you know, there's always been that sort of um, that sense of Latang, I think for Latang of I can do whatever I want, right? Because I've got Brian Dumoulin back there and he's two way shutdown master, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yada, yada. But with, with, with Dumoulin having the ankle injuries and not having that mobility anymore, it's almost like, you know, the, the benefit of having him there is, is in my opinion, mitigated, um, you know, if he's not able to cover like that. For all the things that Pedersen isn't good at, uh, and there are a number of them, <laughs> one of them is playing defense. So I think that's where you look and say, like, hey, um, maybe the, the possibilities are a little bit greater than we initially thought. Well, and this is where I would love to have um a john marino type who could play on that top top pairing with uh, chris letang and just really complement the piece um obviously uh wasn't going to happen in pittsburgh anyway um but we we have kind of arrived at the point where we get to talk about what i i think of as two of the stranger trades i've seen in the offseason um the the first let's talk about the jeff petrie trade um, Petrie for Paling and or Petrie and Paling rather for Mike Matheson and a fourth. Um, Petrie ha- coming off a fairly lackluster season on that terrible Habs team, uh, puts up 27 points in 68 games. Felt very arbitrarily shoehorned off the top power play despite Shea Weber's retirement. Uh, I had written in my notes Petrie obviously won't crack the top the top power play in Pittsburgh, but um, I've heard a very, very interesting theory from a a trusted source. So maybe that's not the case anymore, but um, he he did pace for 63 points as recently as 2021. So it does seem to me like Petrie with the right sort of uh, the right usage could be a 40, 45 point uh, player without, without even getting that, that top power play 
uh, role if he if he has the right usage on this team. Where how do you see him being used in Pittsburgh coming into this year? Yeah, so I think he, he's going to be the anchor of the second pairing. Yeah, he'll be the guy that locks down that second pairing, um, which is I think a good role for him. You know, his age, his skill set, where he is now in his career. I don't know if he's the guy you want to play out there for 29 minutes tonight and mm-hmm. top pairing, right? So I think this is a much better environment for him. Last year was more the exception uh, for him as far as his shooting percentage is concerned. Um, it was in the toilet. Um, really bad year um, that happens. And like you said, the Habs are just not good. Uh, so I don't think that helped. <laughs> but um, I think, it, you know, your bank, you know, I don't even think the Penguins are really looking for him to have a renaissance. You know, I think they're just looking for him to be Jeff Petrie. Totally. Be a, you know, normal guy, second pairing guy, play with Evgeny Malkin, you know, forge a partnership there and, you know, you're going to play with one of Marcus Pedersen or Brian Dumoulin. Uh, both of those guys, again, are going to be more defensive minded and they're going to allow you to, you know, play your your game and be on your front foot and try to normalize some of those offensive numbers. So, you know, I don't I, again, I don't 60 points. Eh, probably no, not. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think a guy who, uh, you know, there's just there was just so much volatility to Mike Matheson. You know, I think at the end of the day, uh, and then, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about John Marino as well. Um, but with, yeah, I think with Marino, um, yeah, there was like a, a more, a want of more offense, you know, mm-hmm. Todd Reardon fought that fight all year long. Um, and you got it in the postseason. I think Marino's renaissance happened, but like, again, I, I told you earlier, Ben sample size in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Are you banking on John Marino six, seven games against the Rangers where he figured it out offensively? Is that the new normal now, or is that the exception to the rule? So I think the Penguins wanted someone that they could get a better defensive performance out of, still maintain a, a level of offense, a high level of offense, um, and, and have a, a touch of veteran leadership into the mix as well. They got all that stuff and more physicality in the form of Jeff Petrie, and they wanted all of that. So. I think there was a huge win for Ron Hextall. Other people outside the org might look at that and be like, uh, I don't know. But I think for Ron Hextall's money, I think he identified his defense getting beat up consistently <laughs> as one of the issues the team had. And that there wasn't enough physicality back there. They weren't big enough. Uh, Ty Smith doesn't help you there, but Jeff Petrie does. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a, that it really does a lot to give you a reliable, steady presence on the second pairing. Yeah. I think that honestly, it, it it is a perfect marriage for, for Petrie. I mean, obviously if you're a fantasy manager who has him in a keeper league, you're hoping for him to go somewhere where he might be able to get, you know, reliable top power play minutes. And, and Montreal might've been the, the better option in terms of uh, offensive upside, but they showed that they didn't want to use him on the power play. Um, and when you look at a player who I mentioned Ben one more thing before I forget, please. Yeah. Cause I'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I understand. His best performance last year was under Martin St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I have to mention that because stylistically, I think that's the closer way of playing to Mike Sullivan that he's going to have. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, if you're looking for a direct correlation of like environment to environment, that bodes extremely well. Cause you got a lot out of him. Um, if from St. Louis perspective, you got a lot out of him, you, you allowed him to play a certain way that I think he really prefers and likes, and I expect, um, a similar experience from Sullivan. 
Yeah, and I think that it's very clear that the first half of last year under Dominic Ducharme was the outlier for Petrie, um, especially when you compare it to the pre, like the last four or five years in Montreal. Um, I think typically in terms of fantasy dynamics and and economics, like usually when a player uh, like a defenseman switches teams in the offseason in a trade like this, uh, they'll tend to go too high in drafts the next year just because their name pops up in in the news enough that people sort of are aware of them. They become higher profile. Their ADP goes up on Yahoo. I really feel like Jeff Petrie has a chance to be one of those players who actually is fine uh, at his draft position this year because he can be a 40, 45 point D-man without top power play usage. And he hits and shoots and blocks well enough to to hit that uh to hit that sort of his draft value so i'm into jeff petrie despite the fact that i'm usually very bearish when it comes to um like non-top flight players who have moved teams in the offseason um let's talk about ty smith though uh another surprise deal for me was the the john marino for ty smith deal um ty smith is a player who i've seen a lot of people be like oh the 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 Penguins really fleeced uh, New Jersey here because Ty Smith was a first round pick very recently. Um, Ty Smith's numbers in New Jersey were terrible. And like you said, a turnstile, like this is a, this is a project player, I I think. And a player who, when you look at the Penguins cap friendly, he has one more year at eight at point eight, six, seven. I don't see him playing so well that he makes a ton of money on his next deal. Like it, it seems to me like they, Ty Smith is, probably going to be a bottom pair defenseman in Pittsburgh for the next few seasons as they try and sort of turn his game into something where they can put him on the ice, you know, 18, 16 to 18 minutes a night. Am I, am I on the right track or, or do you see this as something? No, you're, you're hundred percent right. And like, I honestly, Ben would not even, it's happened so many damn times now. Like the list has gotten away from me, but the Todd Rudin school of rehabilitated defenseman is so long mm. that like, it's really difficult to keep like, Justin Schultz, Cody Cece, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like yep. where do we, where do we start? Like, so I, I just think that, uh, you know, you can't discount that. Right. I think that's, that's a big piece is I think Reardon has, has a desire to get his hands on this kid um, and, and fill him out and say like, look, you know, um, we know we know where your problems are we know where we can improve you um you know let's get to work uh, i think they're going to get at it you know very early on in camp with him um and hope that uh you know so much though ben of this rehabilitation and i'm using air quotes right now is sensical deployment that's what it is it's not using a guy outside of his preferred box or the box that his skill set really deems that he should be in, right? Mm-hmm. And the Penguins for years now have gotten serviceable, solid, hang your hat on these performances from a guy like Chad Ruedel, right? Um, who plays that third pairing, sits there, eats that role. Like they, they it is really a babysat pairing in Pittsburgh. It doesn't get d- difficult deployments. It's used sparingly in the defensive zone and it eats up a lot of third and fourth lines and by the way it also gets a lot of time with teddy bluger who's one of the best defensive forwards in the national hockey league so all these things considered (laughs) right um you end up with an environment that i think is very friendly to a defenseman and i think the hope for the penguins is uh they have like nine nhl quality d right now 
right? So I still think they're going to trade one before the season starts. They kind of have to. Uh, they don't have a choice. I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, the speculation runs wild there, but but you know the idea I think for Ty Smith is give him the least amount of possible responsibility and let him do the things that he's good at. Let him go out there and be a puck mover. Let him be a shot taker. Like play off and be a fourth forward, right? And th- somebody else can focus on the rest. And the Penguins system is just such that like I think it's it's super helpful to defensemen. You know, the forwards do so much work um, in the system that it, it is really nice for a player like a Ty Smith who needs that help. I think um, he'll get it here. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not as as bullish on this um, because, you know, I just think I think that there's a line in the sand somewhere. Right. Or in the ice, proverbially, where you can't coach stuff. Right. Like, I think you get into a place, Ben, eventually where like some things can't be coached, right? And if they could, that's like, you would see, like, there's just, look at, look at the defensemen uh, that get stuck in the, in the AHL and never get out, right? They're all over the place. They exist everywhere. And it's because they can't be coached into certain things. Like you can only coach certain things and skills can't be coached. And so I, I don't know. You know, I've seen a lot of video on Smith is like turnstile level bad defensively. And at any time he's in a one-on-one situation, there's defensive deficiencies that he exhibits that make you really concerned. But I've also seen Todd Reardon take players that, you know, you remember there was a time, I don't want to poop on Steve Simmons, but remember there was a time where Steve Simmons said Justin Schultz is the worst player in the National Hockey League yeah. in, the, in the National Hockey League. Now yeah. that was never really a good take. But like you get the ideas, like people thought that, and then now look at him, like he cashed out big time with, with Washington, and like all of a mm-hmm. sudden nobody would have ever predicted that. So, I, all this is to say is like it's going to take a lot of work, I think. Um, but the, the staff has a distinct track record of success in pulling this kind of stuff off. And it, I will say, like just to to pump the brakes, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but tell me if I am. I feel like the ceiling on Ty Smith in terms of what people may have hoped for as a, as a first round offensive defenseman uh, drafted recently seems to be significantly lowered, despite the fact that he is just 21 at this point. I would agree with that. Um, I think that there's like an element of having like, just not really the direction to help put it together up to this point. And then like Mm -hmm. with also the element of like goaltending aside, right defense is the hardest position to play for a young player. Mm-hmm. It is really difficult. And I think there is an element of like playing someone in that position too early can destroy them and form a lot of really bad habits or um, take habits from, you know, a lower, uh, lower level of play and carry them into a higher level of play. So uh, the penguins are real big on video. They do mm-hmm. it a lot. I don't know if you know this, but, but they don't have game day skates at all um mike sullivan once got asked (laughs) it's a funny story i'll tell you as we wrap the show up here uh somebody once asked mike sullivan why don't you ever do a game day skate and he said well you know uh for easter my grandmother used to cut the ends off her ham every year she cut the ends off the ham and get rid of them and then finally i said like why did you do that and she said, well, because my grandmother did that. And then if you asked her grandmother, she'd say because her grandmother did it. And so, and so at the end of the day, no one knew why. <laughs> so that's what I'm here to tell you is nobody knows why we have game day skates. 
no one can answer that question. If you ask somebody, it's because yeah, their grandfather did it. But why the hell does their grandfather do it? You know, it's so like that. T- <laughs> the point that I tell you this story is because they take that time and they watch video, mm-hmm. and and that I don't think that could be discounted enough. And I think like one of the if I were to ever write the story of like Mike Sullivan's success as a coach, uh, it would be his uh, and his adaptation adaptation of it. Uh, Because I think that is the thing, the tool, the key, essentially, that allows him to unlock the potential of some of these players that, you know, like, for instance, like a Cody Cece um, that maybe didn't find success elsewhere, you know, and enables him to to be able to unlock their full potential. Uh, You mentioned um, or or you mentioned Tristan Jari earlier. We arrive at goaltending here. uh, Final position for us to get through. and, And talking about Jari, I feel like people still discount him based on that that rough stretch in 2021 where he looked to have lost the plot for a while but still came back and and put up you know league average or so numbers over the full season if you look at the three-year sample size at this point jari has a 917 save percentage which is better than connor hellebuck it's better than jacob markstrom it's better than robin laner who i i think all three goalies have a better reputation than tristan jari uh in you know, league wide, uh, or at least among fans. Um, but to me, Jari has been solid for long enough that it would be silly to discount him as a fantasy option at this point. What do you, what do you make of Jari and, and his chances of repeating that fantastic 2022 performance where he posts a nine nineteen with 34 wins and 58 starts? Yeah, I think for Jari, you know, the, the question is of consistency, you know, um, Last year, you know, a lot of people tweeted me and said, I don't care what happens with Jari in the regular season. He's got to do it in the playoffs, like, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of stunk that he didn't get the opportunity to because he got hurt. And then the one game I think he en- ended up playing, and I don't think he was anywhere remotely close to healthy. Um, I think that's the big question is, is, is that Penguins have gone all in here, right? Like they're, they're, Casey DeSmith. Tristan Jari, they're back again. The tandem is here to stay. I don't think Dustin Tokarski is coming up and stealing their jobs anytime soon. Um, I don't think Philip Lindbergh is ready for that show yet either. So I, I think at the end of the day, you're looking at a situation where it's it's Jari or bust. Um, and really just getting, I think, a more... Last year was wonky for him in that Casey DeSmith's first half of the year was so disastrous that Mike Sullivan couldn't even play him. Couldn't even play him. Mm-hmm. And going into the trade deadline, the Penguins' number one priority is backup goaltender. That was the number one priority going into the deadline. And then all of a sudden, like a car screeching to a halt and turning around the other direction, Casey DeSmith just figured it out. And his year no longer was a disaster. He put up these competent performances. He had four or five save of the year candidates <laughs> in the second half of the season. And then all of a sudden now Jari has this space to breathe. And I think that lack of breathing room really affected him adversely in the early part of the year because it was a load management discussion. Mm. The Penguins were in where like they wanted to keep it paced for him. They didn't want to overwork him. They didn't want to kill him three-quarter work in the season. And then they kind of did. You know, they yeah. didn't have a choice, really. They were bound by circumstance. Um, and, you know, spicy pork lily doing aside, right? Like, they didn't really, there was nothing else going on there. So I think this year, the hope is that the load management piece is there. Um, and then he can just get into a consistent rhythm, you know? Uh, the athleticism, I think the athleticism was on display again last year. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, been like just more sound decision making from him in that, less risky 
chases out of the net, like less boneheaded passing, you know, like just very dumbed down simplistic version of goaltending where he could rely on his skills and, and play a, you know, the penguins just need average goaltending. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. all they ever need from their makeup. And he finally sat down. And I think last year was able to do that and some for the majority of the season. Um, And I think that's kind of just going to be the ask again. Don't be the main character in Pittsburgh, right? (laughs) That's it. You know, if you can avoid that, you're probably going to be in good shape. And so finally we get to the prospect portion of the show and uh, as a Pittsburgh beat writer, I'm sure you're used to this being a very lengthy process where there are dozens of guys that I want to add. No, it's uh, an unfortunate uh, an unfortunate fact of being good every year is that the prospects never tend to uh, to light it up on fire. So Scott Wheeler of The Athletic ranks the Pens 29th in the league uh, before last season. Um, from your perspective, any guys there in the, in the pipeline that fantasy managers should be aware of, I suspect Samuel Poulin is at the top of that list, but yeah. I, I don't know anyone else that that might be, I would probably just throw Pierre Olivier Joseph at you mm-hmm. as well, because it's kind of a pooper get off the pot moment for him Yeah, in sure. that, like, you know, 22 right years old, left-handed D, you know, the time is 23, really, if you think about it, the time has come, you know, like we got to get going here. And I, and I mentioned there's nine capable NHL quality defensemen at Pittsburgh, you know, he's going to have to fight his way in, you know? Um, so that's, we, we spent a, a good time talking about Ty Smith. That's a name we got to mention too. Um, as far as like camp battles are concerned and what you look for on that bottom pairing. Um, Paul Ann is one that it's just, it's tough. It's going to be tough for him to crack the lineup. And I think his skating, his lateral skating, um, it's kind of coming home to roost for him at this point in his career. Um, but uh, the only other one I'll throw at you, if you're in a deep keeper league or you're in like a, and I know a lot of people who are, uh, or you're looking for like names where you can really stockpile um, for your bench or farm system and fantasy is Valtteri Pustinen. Um, as a young player, the Penguins brought over from overseas, made his NHL deb- debut last year and scored his first NHL goal. Um, uh, just insanely talented, just all out, you know, I'm not going to play any defense, but the stuff that I can do with the puck is going to blow your mind style player, (laughs) um, that came out of the seventh round, just absolutely out of nowhere. Um, it's probably one of the, not probably, I think is the most exciting prospect in the system to watch right now. So if you're in like a very rich league, uh, and you're looking for a fun name to take a gamble on. Keep an eye on that one because you never know. Uh, I think it's right, uh, you know, could really come up and, and kind of uh, come up and surprise you. This feels like a very Elon type of pickup. I, I feel like if Elon doesn't have that guy on his team, uh, he is going to be very excited to. You know, from to what I know about Elon, that sounds right. So, yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's always got the like the he's he goes into these dynasty leagues where people tend to covet the high higher name prospects. They'll trade a lot of players to get the best picks. And Elon's always showing up with just like this guy who happens to be called over from Russia and is just like kind of a no name, but is getting third line minutes. So he's more valuable than the guys who aren't going to make the league for the next Mm -hmm. five years. So yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like there's a good chance that that's that guy's on Elon's roster. Yeah. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. You, you've answered all of my questions incredibly and with detail and verve. Um, where can people find your work? 
Yeah, so you can catch me on uh, the Staff and Graph podcast, which is on the Hockey News. I do that show with Mike Stevens. Uh, Rachel Dory got hired by the Canucks, and they thought that I'd be a good replacement for some reason. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> and then also on The Athletic. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and on social media at uh, J Marsh. F-O-F. Yeah. Fast F-O-F. Old website, like my OG website, my blog that I started like way back in the day, it was called Face Off Factor. Um, so I'll never take that out. It'll always be J Marsh. F-O-F will be my Twitter handle because I got to keep that that throwback to my roots. You know? <laughs> I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I feel like you can get weird when people ask you what it's about, you know, you can yeah, I just make up whatever I want. Exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. Well, Jesse, thank you so much. And, uh, thanks everyone for listening and hopefully we can have you back, uh, on the show again next summer. Absolutely. We'll take you. We'll talk to you again. 